economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm Lawson Medlin, producing graduate assistant elect for the Gortney Institute. Today we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gortney Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics. We have Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics. Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gortney Professor of Economic Education and Research. And finally, our graduate assistant, Luke Graham. All right, well, we have a special guest today. We're excited to have Dave Trevert on uh, from the Kansas Policy Institute. Uh, Dave is the chief executive officer there. He's a frequent speaker to business, legislative, and civic groups and does research and writes on fiscal policy and education issues. Uh, Trevor regularly testifies before the Kansas House and State uh, Senate committees on state budget, tax, and education issues. Uh, he was appointed member of the K Kansas K-12 Student Achievement and Efficiency Commission. Uh, he's had regular commentaries in the Wall Street Journal, National Review, Invest Investors Business Daily, Forbes, The Washington Times, The Washington Examiner, da, 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 the list goes on and on and on. And uh, he is here today to talk about his most recent book, and that is Giving Kids a Fighting Chance with School Choice. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks. Welcome. It's great to be here. All right. Uh, so, yes, I've done some things with the Kansas Policy Institute in the past, and uh, you guys are a really active group. I was a little bit surprised when I first came to Kansas on um, uh, how nationally known you guys are with the good work that you helped to lead there. So, well, it's 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 really uh, a reflection of the the whole freedom movement because uh, we're the only organization like this in Kansas, but there's at least one like us in every state in the country, and and so we have a great network of sharing information back and forth and. Uh, fortunately, some of the things that we've done on education and taxes have been picked up by other state legislatures, so it kind of helps spread the word. Yeah, and uh, today we're going to talk about school choice uh, off and on on the podcast, but this is our 200 and something episode now, so I've brought up vouchers and Milton Friedman and uh, kind of different variations of school choice at different times for different reasons. So I think this is a, a great time to do a deep dive. I think there's a lot of confusion around the nation on what school choice is, what's a charter school, what's a private school. My dad just asked me that when he was visiting two weeks ago. Well, what is a charter school? And I'm like, well, you have to listen to this upcoming podcast because I knew you were one of our guests coming up, you know, and you, you try to explain it and does it work or does it not and all kinds of issues. So um, can you give us a thumbnail sketch? And then I think it'd be good to roll into this Florida case where there's been a lot of success, it appears. Sure. So uh, in most cases, just think of it as money follow the child. Uh, so instead of being uh, assigned to a school based on the zip code where you live uh, with choice programs, you get to the parents decide where they want the child to go and, and the money uh, goes with them. Uh, state and there's a variety of ways it's done. Uh, Kansas has a tax credit scholarship program, like a lot of other states. Um, there's uh, vouchers. There's education savings accounts uh, that are all money follow the child. Charter schools are different. Charter schools are actually public schools, 
But instead of operating based on all the state uh, book of regulations, uh, they operate off of their own charter. And that's where the name comes from. Uh, and they're freed from a lot of the bureaucratic uh, nightmares uh, and allowed to operate on their own as long as they meet certain conditions. So they're publicly funded, they're public schools. Uh, most often there are uh, lotteries to get in because there's more demand than there is supply. And, and unfortunately, some legislatures restrict attendance in, in charter schools. They keep the cap on because pressure from the public school system, uh, they want the kids and the money that come with them. So um, when Milton Friedman tried to put forth some of these ideas uh, in the 70s, were all schools K through 12 government driven completely? And then you had the alternative of the private school, which often might be the private Catholic school or whatnot. Is, is that what the world looked like? And then who were, who were some of the first states to start adopting some of those? Yeah, pretty much it was, it was just public or private. Uh, school choice has evolved over the years. Uh, it has really exploded in the last 20 or 25 years, uh, partly because of what happened in Florida. Uh, at the, in, in 1998, Jeb Bush ran for governor uh, on a platform of fixing public education. Uh, and he had the courage to say, look, we have really low student achievement here. They were one of the worst in the nation. It, we actually did a documentary on it. If you go to the Kansas Policy Institute uh, YouTube channel, you can watch the documentary. It's called "Giving Kids a Fighting Chance." Yeah, and I well, I brought kids to your to the yeah. viewing of that, and we'll put that in our link to our show notes. You know, as well. and and uh, and and in there, Governor Bush said back then he said some states were saying, "Thank goodness for Florida," because otherwise they'd be last. And and so they embarked on this journey of uh, a, a menu of reforms with choice out in front. They also did transparency and accountability, and. Over time, they've moved from one of the worst states in the nation to one of the best. And, and they did it because, and the thing about choice is it really, it, it initially gives the students who want a different opportunity for whatever reason. It could be uh, they, they learn differently. It could be they have a philosophical difference. It could be that there's just not the opportunity in the public school they're assigned to. Um, when you break that monopoly, it forces the public schools to compete and, and they realign their resources. And so what you've seen is the all the kids in Florida are doing dramatically better. Uh, Florida has, if you look at from where they were in 1998 to the most recent 2019 uh, National Assessment of Educational Progress, you know, their low income fourth graders are the most proficient uh, in the nation. Hmm. Now, it's still relatively low. Uh, it's only 28%. But that's also an indication of where things really are in this country and how far we are behind when 28% is the best. It's a huge <laughs> yeah. improvement for them. Um, and, and so they, they, they stuck to this and we, they, we, we let them tell their story in the documentary. It's you're talking to Jeb Bush, you're hearing from uh, the head of the Miami Urban League and uh, principals and teachers uh, about what they went through, why they did it, some of the trials and tribulations, uh, but it's it's working. Uh, and it's, you know, a lot of the discussion, you know, 
excuse me, a lot of the discussion in education focuses on money and schools, not students. Think about any article you read or any conversation, students rarely come up. It's the system, it's the schools, it's what's fair for them, not for the students. And, and the focus, at, certainly here in Kansas and other states, is that money is the difference. The more you spend, the better you do. That's never been true, of course. Uh, there are some people who really believe it, but the data shows it's never been true. And in the case of Florida, they had this remarkable turnaround while spending five to $6,000 per student less than the national average, <laughs> less than Kansas. And they've blown past Kansas in achievements. Yeah, you have an idea that, uh, sorry, the 13, is it 13? What's it in Kansas versus Florida? I remember 13 and eight is in my head per pupil. Oh, is that roughly? Well, uh, the, the right now, actually now in Kansas, it's over 17,000. Oh, wow. Is it up to that? Because I think I went to one of your yeah. KPI sessions uh, five, seven years ago, and the guy from talked about Dallas, and I think it was maybe 13. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Okay. It was. It's it's really exploded, and at the same time, achievement has declined. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Florida is, uh, I think, around $11,000 a student, <laughs> and, and Kansas is now around 17. Wow. So if we've got better performance, less spending per student, uh, what's the problem here? Shouldn't Why isn't everybody behind this? Who isn't behind this? Well, uh, one of the, uh, the, the basic premise of the book uh, is that the public education system is focused on the system and not on students. So like who, who would be the, the groups interested in the system? Uh, the superintendents. Okay. The uh, school board association, sure. the teacher unions. Uh, there's also there's associations for principals and administrators, all those groups. Uh, the uh, it's focused on money and control, and they want to be in charge. And so we tell story after story in the book of education officials not being honest about achievement levels. Um, of uh, de-emphasizing academics and even ignoring state laws that are designed to close achievement gaps for low-income kids mm. and minorities. And when you look at this, just one story after another, you begin to understand that the system is resisting anything different. The system does not want to change. Right. If the students improve and the system doesn't have to change, that's okay. But the system will not change. When you look at even for example, uh, there was an audit uh, that came out. Uh, they looked at how schools spend at-risk funding. That's money that's on top of regular funding that's targeted uh, for the benefit of the kids who are academically or economically at risk. And it's very prescribed. You have to do. You have to spend the money for these kids. And the audit concluded that most of the funding they examined was not spent on those kids as required in state law, a rather damning statement. So how did the system respond? The president of the state school board published a column that basically said, shut up, go away. We know what we're doing. <laughs> and they didn't change anything. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing in your book. It's, it's nice. I, I assume you're one of the few people that are actually taking an accounting of the misrepresentations, lies, fibs, accidents, whatever we want to call them. But just to have an accounting of that, I think really shows 
how the system is is broken and uh and it keeps repeating itself i think is what surprised me after reading yeah you know um, we, we've covered a lot of those things um individually over the years uh but it's just so hard for people who aren't engaged in the battle day to day to really comprehend how a public school system would not really be focused on changing to benefit kids and so we decided we really needed to put all these stories in one place so you can just kind of feel the weight, uh, the consistency of, of opposing anything that's going to cause the system to change for the benefit of kids. I wanted to bring a couple more things out of the book about Florida that surprised me, um, just to kind of show the types of choice that are possible. Like, I didn't even think about some of these that you had listed the way the Florida system. So they, they really did overhaul things. Uh, Florida offers K-12 students and their families several types of school choice, including five private school choice programs, charter schools, magnet schools, homeschooling, and inter- and intra-district public school choice via open enrollment policies. And then you furthermore go on some of these, um, the family empowerment scholarship programs uh, that are available. Um, parents may use some of these funds for various educational services, including private school tuition, tutoring, online education, home education, therapy, post-secondary educational institutions in Florida, and other defined educational services. And uh, that's been pretty successful at helping low-income and other people who are challenged in different areas. And so um, how does that actually, What uh, another thing that surprised me is that uh, under the old school Friedman voucher, give everybody a, a voucher and you go wherever you want type of thing. Mm -hmm. It looked like the system is more set up to uh, be a, a needs-based assessment of who gets a voucher. Is that like, like it's a subset of people that then can go to a different place given their circumstances? So if you live in the ritzy area of town and your school's great or whatever, you just go on status quo. Is that is that right? Well, it varies by state, uh, and and even there are variations within a state on the different kinds of programs they have. So, uh, a tax credit scholarship, uh, in, the one in Kansas, is for kids who are uh, uh, at or below one hundred and eighty five percent of the federal poverty level. Uh, so there's there's a means testing for that. Uh, there are uh, others that will have education savings accounts, may have the same kind of a means test. We're seeing now more universal school choice. Arizona just passed uh, the most expansive program in the nation. Did that pass? It did. It was close. It was going to be close. It was close. Yeah. Ducey signed it into law, hmm. Governor Ducey. And, and so that is universal. There are, there's no means testing. It's just if you want to go somewhere okay. else. That's right. That was going to be closer to the Friedman system. Yeah. 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 And, and that's uh, we're, we're seeing that uh, that the really demand for that. And, and you, if you go back and you think about that list of things you gave in, in Florida, it's it's to have a menu of options because no kid, no two kids learn alike. You know, it's not a factory system where we all learn the same way. We learn at the same time. So it's really creating these options. So what what's best for helping kids learn at their own pace, the way they learn? There's no one size fits all. Yeah. All right. Well, this looks like a good spot for a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll get a little bit more into the Kansas details, uh, but also expand into, you know, what works and what doesn't. What happens when one of these choices fails? Right. I think I, I hear that as some pushback. And so we'll have 
Dave help explore some of those issues and more when we get back. We'll be back in just a sec. The Gordon Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for free enterprise education and its contribution to human flourishing, faith and economics in action. We have some great high school student programs like PPE Fest. This is an event where students get to listen to some world-renowned speakers and then participate in competition geared around philosophy, politics, and economics. Our everyday economics program is just a half day on a Saturday, and we will have an integrated discussion about common sense economics. We have a college credit microeconomics course that runs every eight weeks. Your high school student can earn college credit for the special price of $200. If you know some students interested in programs like these, contact Peter, Justin, or Russ today. Ottawa University has an exciting new major, PPE, which stands for philosophy, politics, and economics. Each of these three fields is interesting in their own right, but they intersect in ways that are important to understand, both individually and for your community. If you find philosophy fascinating, but want to make sure that your study of the subject is practical, if you enjoy economic analysis, but want to see how economic laws interact with moral principles, if you are interested in politics, but want to explore how economic and ethical realities constrain our political choices, you should consider the PPE program at Ottawa University. Okay, so we're back here talking about school choice and uh, wanted to roll into some realities of Kansas and uh, some of the unfortunate things that have happened there. Um, Dave, can you expand on that? Yeah, so the, there's two barriers to improving education in Kansas. Uh, the first one we talked about that the system isn't going to fix it. The other one is a false sense of high achievement. I mean, mm. if you think about it, if you think that achievement is really good, in your school or your state, why would you want to change anything? It, it, it makes sense. You want to keep doing what you've been doing. Uh, the reality is uh, achievement is much lower than parents have been led to believe by the public school system. Uh, for example, uh, the department, the state school board association publishes a report annually that basically says Kansas is one of the 10 best states in the nation for student outcomes. That's never been true. I mean, the, the most recent Not in any category no, at all. I mean, it's just the, the no, no, it's a magic formula where they count things that don't really measure achievement, where they count some things okay. twice, where they, you know, you back into it. And, and the 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 conclusion that they give to the legislature has always been. And the only thing that separates Kansas from the others that do better is they spend more money. It's a justification to get to we need more money. Uh, the most recent uh, NAEP rankings, the best Kansas had was number 19 on one. Uh, the rest were in the 20s and a lot in the 30s. If you look at the ACT rankings, uh, they're all in the 30s. Now, you can't do these rankings on a state average because there are the demographics of every state are dramatically different. And there are enormous achievement gaps between whites and blacks, between low income kids and others. And so if you have a different mix, if you're a minority majority state, sure. you're going to have an artificially low outcome. But when you look at it, honestly, kind of the apples to apples, then you see that Kansas is below average in a nation that doesn't really do all that well. <laughs> so, for example, and you look at the state assessments. 
people are shocked to find out that we have more high school kids below grade level in Kansas than are proficient in reading and math. And the below grade level, explain that basically you're in 10th grade, but you're really at a ninth grade level or something. What does below level mean with the standardized test? You are, you are not, yes, you are not reading at what the Department of Education considers to be appropriate for that grade level. So okay. it could be ninth grade, it could be eighth. Could okay, be, okay. Okay, it's just below. Uh, and it's it's universal. It and the is, NAEP is the National Association of something or other? National thing? Assessment of Educational Progress. Okay. That's administered by the U.S. Department of Education. Okay, and that comes straight from the federal government. These are the federal standards yeah, that we're these trying are to have all that, states hold to. That, and they're standards. Uh, every, every, kids in every state take the same test, so you can do the apples-to-apples apples mm-hmm. comparison. And if you look at that, for example, in reading, uh, and this has been really consistent since the late 90s. Only about a third of kids in Kansas are proficient in reading. <laughs> yeah, it was abysmal, some of the results that you had. It is. And it's universal. It's not just like in pockets in urban areas. Yeah. Johnson County is thought of as Johnson County schools like to think they're some of the best in the nation. Uh, there are more high school kids below grade level in math in Johnson County than are proficient. Yeah. And Johnson County does have the best football fields, soccer fields, Outstanding. Uh, buildings, technical equipment in the classroom, blah, 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 blah. They have all of that. More Those administrators per whatever. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Justin, you had a story you wanted to bring up to. No, I had a question. Question. Uh, all right. So, um, it seems like school choice in terms of the success of school choice is really on a tear right now. Um, and I think that's great. Um, and my uh, general intuition of it is that COVID had um, a decent amount to do with this in the sense that you talked about a false sense of success. It also seems like there was a false sense of even basic functionality of public schools um, where parents were saying, well, you know, the public school just works, right? And during the COVID era, um, we saw um, so many public school administrators willing to throw the children, you know, essentially under the bus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you'll have to learn from home via this, uh, you know, teleprompter or whatever. And then a lot of people also saw well, these same people who are doing this uh, are sending their kids to schools that are that are still open at this time, right? Um, and so one question might be: uh, Is is it your intuition too that COVID? Um, Certainly, is not responsible for all the success uh, of the of the um, choice movement because it it was gaining steam for you know for thirty years, but that it really was kind of a solvent on what uh, what was going on maybe at some of the public schools in the sense that I think it helped uh, make school choice more of a nonpartisan issue than it had been in the past, um, and uh, so I also think you're starting to see like the. Um, desperate flailing attempts to make to cram partisanship into this issue where one thing that you know across the board people care about is their kids and so um uh maybe just a, a comment sure. on that so yeah there's no question that uh the way that schools handled the covid situation uh really opened a lot of parents eyes and because they made them do a lot of work from home they also found out what the kids had been taught the ways that they were teaching, the indoctrination, uh, that's the word that we hear most from parents. They had no idea what was going on in those schools. And so 
now they're demanding choice. And what that that also really intensified the political divide between the system and the parents, because the system is un it is will it is rigid. It is calcified that it's not going to listen to parents. In fact, it's just the opposite. Many school districts have taken the step now of silencing parents. They've done things because so every school board meeting, there's always been a public forum where people can come in and say something or ask questions, whatever. Uh, we started seeing it's now common that they'll move it outside the original, the, the what they call the official board meeting. If the board meeting starts at six, they'll have it at 530 so that it's harder to get there and it's not recorded because they don't want it. In some cases, they just shut it down. Uh, and, and parents are, are furious. They're saying, look, our kids are being taught things that we have a philosophical difference with. Um, and the schools basically deny that they're doing it. And that we, we tell a story in the book about a legislative hearing where parents came in just one after another, uh, talking about showing the, the, the very objectionable material that their kids were being shown to. And then a state school board member gets up and says, oh, no, we don't do that. Well, it's right there in front <laughs> of like, you. Here's the book. That oh, no, we Johnny don't do that. And they say, so you have to really be careful and listen to how they'll say things. So in this case, the official word from the Department of Education is critical race theory is not in our standards. Well, a standard is what's written down on this is what you should learn. So, no, it's not there. But that doesn't mean it's not in the classroom. It doesn't mean that that's not how people are being taught and everything is being shaped. Uh, and, and so they just resist. And when you deny that something is right there before your eyes, I mean, it's it, it's like the emperor's clothes, that the old fable. Uh, it, it's there. We can all see it. But if you dare to bring it up, then you're accused of hating children and hating teachers and trying to dismantle public education. And, and it just only goes to solidify that it doesn't matter to the system. And by the system, I want to make it real clear, this isn't a teacher problem. This is a management problem. This is something that the superintendents, the assistant superintendents, the school board has the authority, and I would say obligation, to resolve and make sure that their system is focused on students first. But we tell the story after story that it shows they just aren't. So it seems like to me that there's uh, just like an honest evaluation of the evidence is that the pro system side just doesn't have really much water. Uh, they, they can't hold much water because uh, over and over the study shows school choice improves outcomes. It costs less money. Uh, it allows people to have more choice. All of these things we think of as, as positives. And so the only kind of response to this is like rhetoric about, you know, the schools and you're taking funding away from schools and things like this. Uh, but but no actual uh, good arguments find it. The more convincing arguments that I've heard about the concerns about school choice actually tends to come from like more right wing circles, where I know sometimes people will be afraid that school choice is going to mean that, you know, if you let parents use their money at home for school uh, and the money follows the student that way, uh, that then the government's going to have some say or some ability to 
uh, tell people, you know, whether it's a charter school, a private school, or even someone in their home taking government money, uh, what they can and can't teach. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Any worries about that? Sure. Uh, there is, that's a very common objection. Mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting that you never hear them say, this is what happened in Florida sure. when they did it, or this is what happened in Arizona. It's what they think might happen. Right. Mm -hmm. Because they know it hasn't happened. Right. Choice has been around for decades. If it was going, and, and it's not to say that it couldn't, I, I, you could write a law that said, if you do this, these things can happen. But legislatures don't write laws that way because they want kids and parents to have choice. Right. They're not looking for just shifting or expanding government control of, of education. Yeah. And, no, and it's a good thing sense. to keep in mind, you know, when somebody says, and, and I'll, I, I should say also, there are a lot of people, uh, school board members uh, and, and other educators who might say something that's wrong, but they don't know it's wrong because they've been indoctrinated. Teachers, right. I mean, kids are the worst victim of this system. Teachers are the next worst yeah. victim yeah. because they, they've been fed. This is what you must believe. This is what you must say. And they know if they open their mouth, they're going to be fired. Yeah, we as a country have moved away from uh, teachers who have degrees in their particular fields like English or math and moved more towards people who are education majors with like a specialty in those things. So yeah, I, I find that the... Uh, that education schools in the country really do seem to, for whatever reason, teach all the exact same things. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I'm with you. Sometimes uh, the teachers are told, well, this is the best way to help your students. Uh, and the evidence just doesn't bear it out. Right. It's, it's just what they, but they believe it. Right. Because that's what, the, how they've been trained. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to come back to the uh, on track for college and or career, because uh, I think the way it's framed that people are job ready after high school, or if they chose uh, some sort of college path, they're college ready. Right. And so um, across the board here, we've got a 28% of the student body is on track or ready. And otherwise the level one, which is below grade level or level two grade level, but needs remedial uh, that brings up uh, 60 to up to 70%. That is disturbing to think that they're not even ready, job ready worthy. And then um, I want to then have you comment on, uh, you know, the racial justice type of stuff that um, a lot of people are concerned about. It seems like school choice actually helps fight some of these racial injustices better than maybe some other programs that have been attempted. And so here in Kansas, um, white on the, for the, as far as being on track for college and career, 34% of white students have that, 14% Hispanic and 10% black students. So that's where that 28 balances out roughly. And then uh, to break the demographic into low income and not low income, 37% uh, of the not low income are on track and only 15% of the low income. And so we've got this perception that these kids are trucking through school and they should have opportunities. Granted, they might be some disadvantages in other ways. I mean, people are different and we have different circumstances, but nonetheless, those seem like some big gaps and school choice has been closing some of those gaps, it sounds like from the Florida evidence and maybe elsewhere. It is, and you think about those gaps that, that are not only persistent in Kansas, but in some cases getting worse. And now think about how frequently public education officials and school board members 
will profess their devotion to stamping out any form of discrimination. And yet every day they perpetuate race-based and income-based educational discrimination to the point of not even following the law on how to spend money that's set aside for those kids. They won't do it. The, uh, this is, as Governor Bush says in the documentary, and we ripped off for the book, uh, this is the social justice issue of our time. And it's, it's so sadly ironic that the system that is pushing uh, we must stamp out discrimination and racism perpetuates it every day. One of my big uh, fields as a graduate student was public choice theory. And I can't help but think about, you know, public choice theories of bureaucracy when I hear about this, that, uh, you know, it, it's not necessarily uh, conspiratorial. Um, in fact, it's maybe just a product of how the system is that actually, you know, public schools may to a certain degree select for these bad outcomes. In other words, the system itself is set up in a way that there it's it's almost unavoidable the way it is, because, you know, maybe you have more students in your classroom for longer if they do more poorly and then you get more funding that way. Uh, if you don't give students a choice of where they can move to, then you get more funding that way, because, again, there's more butts and seats, uh, you know, if you select for uh, amongst teachers because they're constantly frustrated from the system, you you select for teachers who mm -hmm. don't really care as much about the students because the ones who do care get too frustrated about the system. Does this sound right? Do you think, do you think it's like a systemic issue with the way that public schools are set up administratively? It, it is in, in a, a number of ways. That's a great point. I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, one of the things, you, you know, you, there's a saying, you want to incentivize the behavior you want. Right. Uh, the Kansas school funding system perversely discourages student achievement because you get extra money for these kids who are academically or wow. uh, at risk. <laughs> but if they get better, you might lose some money. Right. One of the really thing, great things that Florida did, and it's not to say that it's deliberate, sure. but it's there. Instead of the Florida approach where they did two things, it was in one program, uh, every state, like you talked about uh, in Kansas, it's on track, it's below grade. Well, in, most states have what, what we call fuzzy labels. Like in Kansas, it's level one, two, three, and four is the official. Then there's a definition. What's that mean? Before it, it was approaching standards or near, what's that? You don't know. <laughs> Florida said, we're going to put a label on schools that everybody understands, A, B, C, D, and F. <laughs> And, and so they, they have standards for what it takes to have those letter grades. And then they have uh, bonuses. So there is $100 per student that goes to the school if it, and, and directly to the school. It doesn't get washed through the bureaucracy for them to take their cut. It goes directly to the school. You could move from an F to a D or a B to an A or just maintain an A. Mm. If you improve, there's $100 per kid that's going there. Wow. That's the incentive. You want people working toward improvement. Uh, and the, the stick, you know, that's the carrot. The stick is, if you don't, that's the grade letter that's on your building. Right. And parents know it. Yeah. Uh, and, and parents actually appreciated that in Florida. One of the things they talk about in the documentary is that uh, parents, when they understood how things really were, they said, what can we do? We want to help. No, they put pressure on, too. Yeah. 
And every time they raise the standards of what it takes to get an A or a B in Florida, and they've done it, I think, at least six times, schools did better. Right. It's, you know, if you raise my standard, I, I want to, I'm going to rise to the occasion. Yeah. Uh, if you have low expectations, uh, or as his brother, uh, President Bush said, the soft bigotry of low expectations, then you're you're really doing a disservice. It's it's one of the most insidious forms of discrimination. Absolutely, yeah. And I I want the listeners at home too to understand like the the difference between those two programs, the one where students are get or schools are given more money if students are doing poorly versus if they do well. Uh, it's not like anyone here thinks that the teachers get together in a secret meeting and they say, oh, we're not going to teach reading this year to keep more money. No one's saying that. What we're saying is the schools that operate in such a way that people do worse are going to get more money it, the, the way the Kansas system is set up, whereas the schools that are operating well then are going to get less money. And so it, the schools that are doing a good job, they're slowly going to lose funding and it's going to be harder and harder for them to do a good job. Whereas the schools that don't do a good job for whatever reason, maybe it's just random. Let's just say it's sure. random. Those schools are going to be uh, pushed up more and more. Like you said, yeah. it's incentivizing, not in a way that well, like people, teachers are personally saying, we're going to make all of our students dumb so we can get more money. It's that the system actually selects for this, irregardless of the intentions of uh, uh Teachers, you know, you you go back, uh, you you look at the litigation history in Kansas on school funding, and the state supreme court said that, in their opinion, the fact that, and this was in 2016, that a quarter of the students in Kansas were below grade level, told them, proved to them that they didn't have enough money. Now that's nonsense, right? Okay, but that was their logic. Okay, so now. If you get all these kids to grade level, well, it's going to be harder for schools to at least claim that they're underfunded. Yeah. And what's happened since we had a quarter below grade level in 2016? We have a third below grade level now. It's it, it is not getting better. It's getting worse. Right. No. No. All right. Well, this looks like a good spot to wrap, Dave. I thought you wanted to make some comments on the, um, you know, the relationship between achievements. Uh We've got a lot of data, a lot of research, and then you kind of bring up this call to action in a sense with your book is what I sense. So uh, maybe you can leave us with those words of, of where does it you know go from here? Sure. So uh, first of all, you, parents need to get, parents, community leaders, every Kansan needs to get informed. And, and don't just take anyone's word for it. Don't just take our word for it. Uh, feel free, check it out. Uh, test what you've heard from anybody and come to your own conclusion that you have, you're fully informed. And then you have to decide what you're going to do. If you look at where we, we are, whether it's in your district or the state, uh, and you say, well, these, this is acceptable, well, then fine. We understand why you don't want to change. But if you look at these issues and you say, now nah, this, this is not even close to acceptable, now you have to make a choice. You have to decide whether you're going to get involved and, and push for these changes or because if you don't, nothing's going to change. And that's the premise behind this. That's the whole reason we documented all these examples. And we I mean, there's lots more. We just had to draw the line somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but when you look at that and you if you believe that the system isn't going to change, then you're either advocating for change 
or you're saying you're accepting low achievement. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show today and enlightening us all uh, on school choice. We appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. This was this was a real treat. Great. Well, this has been a production of the Wharton Institute here at Ottawa University. I'd like to thank you all for listening. A five-star rating helps other people find us. And please forward this podcast on to other family and friends. And uh, we also have a Wharton Institute uh, donate button on our website. So if you're looking to support uh, continued shows like this, we appreciate it. Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks. <laughs>